Blog Talk Radio. Loud Sound Productions. In the Loud Sound Productions. In association with the Sexy Witches Presents. Repo Nerds. The podcast where there's no such thing as indecent exposure. Restoring nerd cred, one geek at a time. Here's your host, writer, token Tom Clark, and the head hauntress, archivist, Elizabeth Catherine Gray. From Cylon Tyranny, the last Battlestar Galactica, Lisa Ragtag, a lonely shining planet. Well, welcome to Repo Nerds. Um, this is a part of the Archivist Bets on Sexy Witches podcasting family, and I'm your host, the head entrance. Uh, Elizabeth Catherine Gay, or Gray, excuse me, not Gay. Oh, and you can also call me EKG or whatever the fuck else you want to call me. Uh, as long as I don't, like, do mean things to me, I'm good with that. Unless they're fun. Anyway, I'm with, as always, on Repo Nerds, because this is Repo Nerds. This is not the Sexy Witches. We will be returning with the Sexy Witches on the 23rd of, sep- of, of January, which is next Tuesday. Woohoo! But in the meantime, we're doing our spin-off podcast with Mr. Token Tommy Clark of normally on the Project Entertainment Network of the Nacrocasticon. So please welcome my co-host, Token Tommy Clark. Hey, Liz. Happy New hello, Year. Hello, hello. Happy New Year. How's the new, How's it been so far? It's been okay. Can't, can't complain. Can't complain at all. Uh, How's it been on your end? I know you, you know, because you work for the government and stuff, so you've been worried whether you're going to have a job tomorrow or not every day. Oh, <laughs> my God. Right now, we don't know. We're still in complete flux. I've had a couple of my other friends from other parts of the government going, what the fuck is going on? Now, I actually feel like we're going to get a con res, and they're going to push it to February. I think that's what's going to happen. It'll probably happen like at 10 o'clock tomorrow night after everyone's home and shit like that. Uh, But we'll see. I'm not even thinking about that right now. So I have more important fish to fry. Yes. Bigger ones. Yes. Better ones. Go ahead. No, no, you go ahead. No, I was going to say, you know what February is, and that's horror geekdom. Yes, a whole bunch of it. Um, You've got Women Horror Month. Um, you've got all got the beginning of the con season starts off with days uh, with uh, it's in Atlanta you're going to right? That's correct. Uh, you know, and we'll talk about this more on sexy witches, but I might as well since I am on this one tell you now. Hey, uh, I have been invited to go to uh, the Days of the Dead Atlanta. Now I have been there two years in a row as press for the Archivist Bets on Sexy Witches podcast. They were the first. Um, horror convention to give me a press uh, pass so thank you Adolfo and Nathan but this year they've invited me to moderate a panel on their independent uh, film track the blue code blue track so I'm going to be doing the women of independent horror at 2 p.m. in Dance of the Dead Atlanta 
uh, and uh, I'm going to have a cat, uh, four lovely ladies on the panel, and we're going to talk out a, a horror for 45 minutes. Uh, two of them are working on the Soska Sisters PSAs for the blood drive that happens in Women in Horror Recognition Month. And uh, right. not only is this the first time that they've asked somebody else to moderate a panel that wasn't on their regular rotation on Days of the Dead. I am the first woman to moderate a panel at Days of the Dead Atlanta. So drop the mic. Wow. Awesome. Yeah. So uh, Dolso, thank you. Nathan Hamilton of Son of Celluloid, who's a friend of the Archivist Bets on Sexy Witches. Thank you, sir, for inviting me. And I'm bringing Erin Marie with me. So we're going to have a blast. It makes me almost feel bad what I'm going to have to do to you here, here shortly. Because the, the last time we were on this show, we were here because you pulled my nerd card on me not seeing a sufficient amount of Italian horror growing up. Um, and this week, what, 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 are we, what are we talking about? Well, we're talking about Battlestar Galactica. Not the original 1981 version, but the 2003, 2004 to 2009 version that came out on the science fiction panel starring... And we're James Olmos and Kate Beckinsale, right? It's not Kate Beckinsale. No. I'm sorry. What's her name? Katie, Katie Sackhoff. Sackhoff. Make Katie Sackhoff a star. And yeah. is it Kate, correct that Katie you have Sackhoff not seen awesome. an episode? You, up until Never. recently, you had not seen it? So hold on. Hold on. Yep. I hear it coming now. Listen, listen. Shame. Shame. <laughs> Shame. 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 Yes, Liz, you have been shamed. But now you have rectified part of that. Yes. Actually, go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say, I have not only just watched. (laughs) Gee, we're going to learn how to talk over each other. (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm all excited. My new podcast. Um, I was going to say, I have not only watched the miniseries, which you said, I had to watch the miniseries and the first episode after. I have watched the entire first season, plus half of season two. I just finished the episode Farm as of a half an hour ago. Nice, nice, mm-hmm. nice. So we can talk pretty seriously deep dive into this. All right, okay. Now uh, let's remind our listeners that they can call in and talk to us, can't they? Yeah, yeah, um, you can. I'm happy I've rectified the situation, but if you have some, inf- want to talk to me about Battlestar Galactica and why I should have watched it sooner or any of its spinoffs or four seasons, we um, like to remind you that we have a phone number, 646-716-9172. The Rainbowers are record the shows live right now, so you can call in live yeah. once again. Six four six seven one six nine one seven two. The Repo Nerds are looking six, forward four, to your call. Six. Six four six seven one six nine one seven two. Yes. Yes, you can become be part of the Repo Nerds experience. Um, Absolutely. And, but first, but first, Tommy, we got a small yeah. little bit. It's also another thing that February and January brings us, and especially this time of year, is award season. Is it not award season? Yeah, it's award season. It's award season, which. Nerds like us that like the weirder stuff tend to have a mixed feelings about award season because usually the stuff that we love is never ever on the list or you know or unusual you know so we we, we kind of like feel indifferent to Oscar season a little bit but I kind of feel like it's for us film geeks it's kind of like the Super Bowl it's a lot of fun 
doesn't really matter in the end, but it's a lot of fun. So I like to go over award season, and I actually also, I didn't tell you this, Tommy, but um, today the Fright Meter Awards dropped their nominations, and I'm a member of that committee. So if you go to FrightMeter.com, you can see which horror films we nominated for Best Horror Films of 2017. Uh, I was very happy that a couple of my choices did make it all the way through to the nominations, but everyone wanted to vote for it. So I think it and Get Out are going to be the uh, So I don't dislike it. I like it. I enjoy it. Was it the best horror movie of the year? No. They had one scare in it, and the rest <laughs> of it was an adventure movie. I still haven't seen it. So I have to fix that by next week. So that's okay. one of my plans. You know, so I wanted I wanted the girl with all the gifts to make it to the finals and it got completely snubbed. So I made it made me sad. Yeah. But the lore, the lore, which is my one of my favorite films this year, which is the Polish mermaid musical yep, horror the mermaid film. Movie. Uh yep. Yeah, it, it got two nominations. It got costuming and it got uh, makeup. So I was very happy to see that was on there. I wish it got score. Didn't get score. But at least it got two. So people did watch that film. And it makes me happy. So, But let's talk about the Oscars. The Oscars themselves, yeah. right? Let's uh, talk about yeah. awards season. And, and I know you wanted me to go first. But I think because of flow reasons, I mentioned this, I think you should go first and talk about your, your choices. And so let's talk about what we're going to do here. Just for a little bit, maybe 15, 20 minutes. Give, give a, we're going to talk. Go ahead. Give an oddball thing that we like <laughs> from one of the past or, awards. Or one that just makes us scratch our head. So these are the awards that we did, like, let's say, for example, the King's Speech, okay? You know, I'm not a huge fan of the King's Speech, but when I watch it, I see why it was nominated. It's a solid film with old-school solid directing. But sometimes a really, really random film gets picked, nominated for an Oscar. Now, usually it falls in one of the side categories, like a tech award Often it's makeup. We'll talk about that in a minute. Uh, but it could also be in costume. Even Best Pictures had some all balls. But I think most. But I wanted Tom to go first because his choices are definitely on the oddball side. And yeah. uh, so, what are your choices for the weirdest or worst picks for Oscar nominations? Well, first off, Jethro Tull winning the first Heavy Metal Grammy. Uh, oh wait, we're talking Oscars here. That's right, I forgot. Okay. Anyway, um, how about yeah, well, Suicide Squad? Yeah, I heard you squad. talk about Getting... that in on. You can go to your yeah. show and listen to that. <laughs> how about Suicide Squad getting nominated for anything? Are you fucking shitting me? How is this abortion of a fucking movie getting nominated for a goddamn award? How? <laughs> I predicted that win. I predicted that win. Just so you know. I did. Um, point of contention on um, uh, what you meant, Sexy Witches, because uh, I said it was going to win, and even though all of us wanted Star Trek to win, but I knew it was going to beat Star oh. Trek. So I don't know. Uh, you know, it, it's the movie that launched movie a thousand so copies. It's, you know, that movie is a bad date. That movie is a date with... <laughs> it is oh, a bad never date. never mind, never mind. That, movie, that movie's just a bad date. Okay, and, and it is it's, it's, uh, everything that could go wrong with a date goes wrong with Suicide Squad. Okay, that's why I don't understand how this movie won a fucking Oscar. How about Pearl Harbor? How does that win an Oscar for best sound? Because uh, it made the best fucking Michael Bay explosions of all time. Is that why? 
I, I could do an entire podcast, Tom, on why war films should be banned from the sound effects editing not, uh, category. I can't stand it. It chokes out all the real, true, great mixing. Loud does not equal good. You know that the best engineers mix down, Tommy. You know that. Right. And I so, do. Anyway. I do, too. Yeah. <laughs> so that's what I'm saying. The best engineers mix down. They don't mix up. So <laughs> fuck it. Go ahead. Keep going. Um, I like your choices. 2000 was, you know, you know, had, you know, 2000 gave us a surprise, too, with the Hollow Man winning for special effects. Um, I'm not a big fan of the Invisible Man trope in, in movies, but, you know, Hollow Man, I thought, did it well. And, and Kevin Bacon just plays the psycho so well in any movie that he gets that opportunity to do it in. And if you look at this, you know, you've got Elizabeth Shue and Josh Brolin in a movie directed by Paul Verhoeven. Well, so how I think it's one of the under, underrated movies uh, from that era that would get an award. But then you take, you take a pedigree like that and maybe add somebody like John Lithgow to it, and then you make Harry win the fucking <laughs> Hendersons? Really? Bigfoot is not supposed to be family-friendly. He's supposed to fucking scare and kill people. That's just me. I'm never. I was never a fan of Harry and the Hendersons. <laughs> I always was kind of mixed bag about it. I love John Lithgow, so there's that. And actually, I think he's quite good in the movie. He holds the film together with like his bareness, fisted knuckles. If you know what I'm saying, he got it. Keeps it going. Keeps it going. Keeps it going. Anyway, you do. Um, but you do it, realize that the it, guys that tried to. To, to do the Bigfoot body hoax a couple of years ago, use a Harry and the Hendersons fucking Bigfoot outfit for that goddamn hoax. <laughs> it's not even a very good face, but uh, but I guess for a full suit, it is pretty. It's a very elaborate suit, I guess. So now, uh, Tommy, do you know who did? Yeah, Rick Baker did that makeup, right? And not only did he make that win that make, uh, he won with that makeup. He won an yes, Oscar not once, not twice. But three times, matter of fact, in 1982, American Werewolf in London was the special effects award. It was invented. This award was invented so Rick Baker could win that award that year. Uh, You know, that's how important Rick Baker is. But he wins again. And this is what I think about Rick Baker. I love him. He's one of my favorite makeup artists of all time. I mean, how can you not admire the work of Rick Baker? He is the best at what he does. But for some reason, because he makes these really big showpieces nowadays, he ends up in nominations with some really shit movies, like shit movies, not just like bad movies, but shit movies. I mean, Harry and the Hendersons is watchable at least. But, you know, for some reason, every time Eddie Murphy is put in a fat suit and Rick Baker does it, he gets nominated for an Oscar. Uh, You know, he, he was nominated for Norbit which is a multiple makeup uh, 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 Oscar. I know. Um, know. Oh, my God. And it's like, you know, terrible, scary fat suit. Terrible, scary fat suit. He was nominated for that. And And he wins for the Nutty Professor with Eddie Murphy. He actually won for those fat yes, suits. Uh, you know, so there's that. Uh, you know, so those are some terrible films. But I wanted to point out two that are unusual. I thought that actually a lot of people missed that are also in this category. One is the Adam Sandler comedy from 2006 called Click, which has a lot of old age makeup. 
And so the guy that did that film was nominated for Best Makeup. And that's just a surreal-ass film. Have you ever seen it? No. I don't, okay. I'm not a big Adam Sandler fan. And we're not going to pull the nerd card on anybody for not watching Adam Sandler. Because when I watch no. an Adam Sandler movie, my brain turns to marshmallow and I get dumber. And I can't have that happen, especially at my age, because I'm 50 and I could be hitting dementia soon. So, no. Adam Sandler, no. Adam Sandler's hit or miss for me. I actually like a Welcome to the Zohan or, you know, the Zohan movie. I actually really like that movie a lot. I think it's really Drew Barrymore's got to be his... in a movie for me to watch it with Adam Sandler in it. That's all i got to say. Uh, but uh, Click is about a technological spaced out remote control and he can fast forward and rewind into segments into his own life so it's kind of like like quantum leap meets television that's kind of what it is but within your own life not within other you know people it's really weird it makes no sense it's not very good um but age old age makeup it makes it popular but this is my favorite, Tommy. The, my favorite, weirdest nomination of all time. And it deserved it. It fucking deserved it. Was makeup in 2013, Bad Grandpa. Bad Grandpa, the jackass movie. Yes. Bad Grandpa yes. deserved it. Tommy no- Johnny Knoxville. It. And this is why they deserved it, Tommy. It's not only did was it great old age makeup. As people know, old age makeup is the hardest to do. It's harder than fat suits. It's harder than doing creature prosthetics. Old age makeup is difficult. Um, they only did they have great old age makeup. That makeup had to hold up to harsh light conditions with bad cameras and close-ups and odd angles. And it does. You can see veins. You can see beautiful brown splotches all over their skin. I mean, it's modeled like an old man's would be. It's a really good makeup job, but it's also one of the weirdest nominations for Oscar. Yeah, yeah. So, I have um, to agree with you, you there. Any... I can't deny that. Oh yeah. Do you ha- uh, do you have any more? Because I have a couple more. In yeah, I don't really have much more. Um, I, no, I, I don't have much. The Oscars haven't been as appealing and a, as much of a thing for me the past few years um, because I've found myself disenchanted by awards shows and Hall of Fame. Um, especially with the way that Richie Blackmore was treated at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame last year. And if you know who, you know me or follow me on my other podcast, Necrocasticon, you know I'm a huge Richie Blackmore and Deep Purple and Rainbow fan. So, um, <laughs> and then the yeah, Oscars, I just heard you talk you know, about him. Well, and then the uh, Mad Max Fury Road kind of cinched it for me. Just going to say that. There's still some hope, and this is why. Not last year, but the year before, Ex Machina beat out The Force Awakens. When that award happened, I actually screamed like at the top well, of my lungs because Ex that Machina was just one of those it's things. such a great movie. I know, I know, and it's you know it's funny. And speaking of uh, Battlestar Galactica, oh my God, did Ex Machina check Battlestar Galactica? I didn't know until I watched it. Anyway, we'll talk well, about it's that like later. An unofficial, um, it's an unofficial, unofficial type of, I guess you could say prelude. Prequel? Like, uh, I don't know. It's not a pre- uh, yeah, prelude. Open everything you read. Fiction. Uh, before <laughs> we uh, pull. 
before I pull off Oscar, I wanted to mention, because it's not just makeup, I did want to mention that another category tends to bring in some weird ones. Um, first of all, the weirdest ever that I could find looking up this was actually in costume design. Swarm in 1978 won be- uh, nominated for Best Costume Design. Uh, okay, that movie looks like modern 70s. There's nothing to it. There's some beehive costumes with for the beehives, you know, like the white things on their faces to protect them from being stung. Why did that get a nomination? Who knows? At least a horror film got nominated. Uh, but best song, best song, dude, always has some surprises because, you know, it's best song. They very rarely pick any good songs. Once in a while, it, a really good song the, gets nominated. It's usually that guy that um, writes all the Disney songs. What's his name there? Randy Newman. Um, you know if he's nominated, he's going to win. There's no, not even a fucking reason to watch it anymore at that point. Randy Newman's up well, there nominated. He's going to play a song on a piano with a puppet next to him. Okay, he wins. Well, you know, it's funny you say that because, like, um, I don't have a lot of puppets, but I do have one animated film on that list because animated films always get nominated. But my favorite, of course, had to be in 1999, when Blame Canada was performed by Robin Williams, rest in peace, on the Oscar night, nominated yes. for Best Song. And, of course, fucking Phil Collins beats it with the Tarzan soundtrack, which so angered me. Oh, my God. I was so mad. Oh, I'm sorry, <laughs> but, but I kind of liked that because I'm a Tarzan fan, and I didn't care that it was a Tarzan movie with Phil Collins because I like Phil Collins. So oh, I okay. like I am that. a Johnny... Wise Miller, Buster Crab fan to the end, motherfucker. Just so you know, I love both of them. I'm guys. Ronnie Lee uh, and freaking Christopher Lambert, and now it, what's his face there? Skarsgård. Skarsgård was great as Tarzan. Oh my god. Woo-hoo. Sorry. Margot Robbie <laughs> is Jane. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, yeah, no, I would take her as Jane over Harley Quinn because they came out the same year. I actually thought that she was way better in Tarzan. But, you know, people miss that film. I thought it was a fun, silly movie. Um, But getting back to my list, I also wanted to say Hard Out There for a Pimp from Hustle and Flow in 2005, if you remember that one, uh, which is Hard Out Here for a Pimp, my favorite, second favorite win of all time. But my favorite win of all time was 1971, Shaft. Shaft wins best song in 1971. First shaft. I mean, come on. You can't say there is any weirder, better nomination than that. Um, and then, of course, my favorite screenplay was Borat for 19 for animated for adapted screenplay. <laughs> so those were my. List. I used to when I was younger. I right. used to watch the Oscars, looking for genre films to get nominated and seeing what they would get nominated. And this is in the time period before you had the internet and you had that instant be able to research, see what was happening. Um, so that was part of the allure of the Oscars back in the day. And then the shows started just getting so goddamn long. Um, I kept getting disappointed because the movies I liked never won. They got beat by bad films every time. So now I, you know, wait till the next day. Okay, that's what happened. That's great. I didn't have to wait up till 1 o'clock in the morning to find out. The one thing that I do like about Oscar season, though, is that I miss a lot of the main films that come out between September and December because at that point I'm concentrating almost full blast on horror. 
So I miss a lot of those films and like Blade Runner 2049. I miss that movie in the theaters, which I'm kicking myself. But because it'll be nominated for an Oscar, they'll do a real quick jump back into the theaters to grab a few bucks. And I'm it really is hoping that happens. So good. It is so <laughs> oh good. God. So that's nominated for Best Picture? Uh, not yet. No, they haven't. So they, have I'm they put out the nominees be... for Best Picture but, yet? No, no. That's Tuesday at 8. 15 in the morning so that's why sexy witches comes back next tuesday because we open with the oscar nods um so so that we'll know that for sure but it's up for it's in the it's in the front runner luckily and this is good for roger dinkins finally might win his oscar for cinematography which is really something that i want to happen my thing is this if shape of water is not nominated for best picture and does not win best picture the Academy Awards are a sham. Um, the Shape of Water is probably the best movie I've seen in three or four years. It, my best movie I've seen since Mad Max Fury Road. Bottom line. I, I'd really so, like to get it in. It is so good. <laughs> it is so good. Well, right. well, we'll see. All right, so... Dipping back into science fiction. So that was a no, lovely Oscar talk. Yes, uh, we're going to take again, a brief uh, break. Liz and I are going to take Yarp. a brief break and let you guys listen to something for a minute and a half. There are those who believe that life here began out there, far across the universe, with tribes of humans who may have been the forefathers of the Egyptians, or the Toltecs, or the Mayans. Some believe that there may yet be brothers of man, who even now fight to survive somewhere beyond the heavens. hair on my neck, Liz. Listen, listen to the tribal beats that come in right now. This this introduction to this science fiction television program, a lot of thought went no. into this. And that thought they took and combined seven or eight different musical styles from around the world to make that one minute long introduction to the Battlestar Galactica relaunch show um, that came out in 2004, which you have finally got to see. Yes, I finally watched it. I, like I said, I watched um, the first miniseries, which is a two-hour uh, pilot, and then I watched all of season one. And I'm halfway through season two. So okay, so let's, let's start off here by giving everybody out there a little bit of background on Battlestar Galactica, and then we'll get your feelings on it. How's that sound? Totally. Okay, okay so um, 
Ron Moore's reboot of Glenn A. Larson's classic and cult TV show Battlestar Galactica came out in 2004. Um, it's the original Battlestar Galactica and this show are very important to modern science fiction. Um, aspects from both programs can be seen in other franchises, Star Wars, and so forth. Um, and and part of the, and that's part of the show's appeal. Is, uh, um, it transcends. It's not just a television program to me. Um, it's my Star Trek. Um, and when people ask people, what do you like, Star Wars or Star Trek? I say Battlestar Galactica every time. And I don't know, maybe it's because of the ancient alien theory that's part of the background to it, um, that this could happen. But much like Star Trek was created to be wagon train in space, so was Battlestar Galactica. And the original creator of the show, Glenn Larson, um, who was... Yeah, <laughs> If you watch television in the 70s and 80s, you were touched by Glenn A. Larson, without a doubt. He was one of the most prolific writers and producers in Hollywood uh, for television back in the day. Um, he was also a devout Mormon, and a lot of Battlestar Galactic's mythology and theology is inspired by his Mormon beliefs. And one thing about the original series was that it was a metaphor for the Cold War. You know, the Russians were the Cylons, we were the colonists, Um and it had a great, great run for a year. Uh, originally, the show was going to be a series of two-hour movies, but they didn't do it that way because they, to write those quality scripts, you had too much time in between, and they didn't want to lose the momentum from the high ratings that the show first got when it debuted. Um, but I guess the high points of the original series, and you could agree with me on these because you saw them long ago, would probably be the original, the original opening episode, the second one, the, Lost Planet, the Planet of the Lost Gods, and the one with the Pegasus, with um, if you recall that one, the the, the mid season um, break that came out, and of course the cast. Yeah, well that, the, I haven't gotten that far yet. That Pegasus. Well, I'm talking the original Battlestar Galactic. Liz, Liz, we're talking. Oh yeah, the original. oh yeah. Sorry, you're right. You're right. Yeah. I got confused because so there's a Pegasus yeah, the in this green. one too. Yep. Yep. Well, there's a lot of correspondences between the the old and the new. Um, but the cast, Lauren Green, Jane Seymour, Dirk Benedict, you know, all of them went on to become famous or were already famous as they were. Um, Dirk Benedict left this and, you know, joined the A-team. And then the sky was the limit. Jane Seymour went on to be the, the darling of um, television miniseries. And this was her second big product after being in James Bond. Where she debuted. Um, she was my favorite actress at that time, believe it or not. I was a huge fan of the movie Ray Harryhausen's uh, Eye of the Tiger, which she oh, did yeah. in Bad of the Eye of the Tiger, and she stars in that. And I, I am loved, so glad you saw that. Love that movie. Yeah, because I was going to ask, that was on my list of things to ask you if you'd seen or not <laughs> for this show. <laughs> um, okay, Tommy, this is how much I love Ray Harryhausen. I took both of my box sets into my birthing room. Okay. Okay, that's all right. Okay, I believe you. <laughs> now, um, it's true. Here, here's some trivia about the original Battlestar Galactica, Liz, and see if you if you remember this. Do you remember watching the first okay. episode and having it pre- be preempted midway through for the Middle East peace accords to be signed? No, but I do remember watching the Oscars and them being all pissed off because everyone was watching Battlestar Galactica, or was it the Emmys? Oh. I think it was the Emmys. It was the Emmys? Ah, okay. Um, I was watching now, the Emmys um, with my parents. Did you know that the movie that came out, which was basically the, the miniseries, was a reshot, reshoot of the miniseries, and they added capes 
When you saw the films in the, when you saw the film in the theaters, yep. Um, my parents didn't want to take me to see it in the theaters. We saw it on television. I told them it was different, and it was because they had capes added from reshoots. Little capes. I don't remember <laughs> if I saw it in the theaters. Yeah. I think my parents I, um, did. My parents, mm-hmm. my parents went to see it in the theaters. That's why we didn't watch the pilot on regular television. I didn't pick it up until the show started. Well, uh, but well the, 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 the movie tra- didn't come out in the theaters till a year after it was put on TV. Oh, was it? I forget yep. the order of events on this that. This is how hardcore kid... I was. I had the well, trick you remember, cereal I'm... box. I sent in from the trick cereal box the back of it to get the Viper Pilot cockpit set, which came to me, and it was basically a giant cardboard, punch-out cardboard, and you you made it and taped it together, cockpit of a Colonial Viper. That was wild Theory. for a freaking... Do you remember the badass, beautiful puzzles that came out of Battlestar Galactica for kids at that time period? The nice, good old-fashioned 100-piece one? I had two of those. One with the Viper and one with the Galactica, and it was a scene with the Cylons and the Vipers Mm -hmm. fighting. So So you uh, weren't totally Um, unfamiliar with Battlestar Galactica when you went into watching the reboot. um, Oh, no, not at all. Let's ask you, Liz. What did you think about the review? And what did you think about how they reimagined things? Um, all right. First of all, I want to say, because I don't want you to get upset if I disagree with you about a few things, but I can see why people really like the show. I think that it's really well done. I think the music's really well done. I think the acting's really well done. Uh, there's a lot of things to like. I can see why this would become, easily become a cult show. And I'm sure if I was living with my father... I would have been watching this with him every night it came on. Absolutely, because I was a science fiction nerd first before I was a horror geek. So this kind of show is in my wheelhouse, okay? I'm, I have a, a decent, you know, I want to like it. I want to like this kind of stuff. And it's pretty decently written. I actually do like it. But I, I don't love it. I don't feel connected to it. I, I can't quite put my finger on why I don't like embrace this fully. First of all, some of it's extremely clever. I thought the movie itself, the movie, the first two episodes were solid. That was like a good, you know, they shot it cinematically. It felt like a movie. So, you know, of course they're going to lose that with the episodic, you know, seasons when it starts. But I thought as a, as a standalone film, it was really, really well done. I was like, this is pretty cool. And I love the idea because, you know, I'm, a, I'm an archivist. So preserving things, and I work for the Park Service. So turning the Battlestar Galactica into a giant museum is exactly what I would do. That was like the awesomest, coolest thing ever, is that that's how they incorporated the old ship into the modern story. And so I will give you that, Tommy. That was the geekiest thing you could possibly do, is and they turned it into uh, a giant And museum. very important. Yeah. Spoiler alert, very important for the plot. Yes. Oh, yeah, it has to be. It has to be important to the plot. Uh, you know, some of the, there's a few things I, I wish I was more connected to the characters than I am. I, I, I actually have trouble remembering their names. And and oh. it really bothers me. Like, like I go, oh, that's the crazy scientist dude that talks to the blonde chick. That's the blonde Cylon. That's, that's Sharon. I do know who Sharon is. Sharon's the best character on the show so far. Um, you know, so I do feel connected. That's the only characters I feel really, truly connected to was Sharon 
and her relationship with the engineer, who I didn't know his name until today. I had to go look it up. His name is Tyrell, right? Yeah. <laughs> engineer Tyrell. I had to go look that up. I know who they are. I just don't know their names. And the only, the only names that I do know are Leah Dalma and his father is James Rolomo. See, there, there you go. I, just, I see James Rolomo. I don't see his character. Now, that, it doesn't actually hurt it as much as you may think. And this is why. Because I don't think the story is really about one individual character. It's actually about humanity and how it's going to evolve into the world that we become. Because I already know the big, the big plot twist in the end of the show. Okay. Uh, spoiler, spoiler alert. I already know what this is all about, Tommy. I know how this ends. Okay. okay. I, I do know the end of the show with, with the, you know, the, the big reveal on the timeline, what, where this fits in our real world. I, I won't go any farther, but I already know where this is. Uh, so I get that. Myocardial uh, <laughs> leave. Yeah, so. But My, it's myo- I, I, you're talking about myocardial leave, right? Yeah, well, yeah, I'm talking about, like, how this is, this really is the story of well, humanity. If you say you know what you're talking, Liz, if you tell me that I'm you know trying- the big reveal at the end, that means that you are going to say yes when I say you're talking about myocardial eve. Yes, I am. I am. Okay. I actually do know what you're talking about, exactly what you're talking about. And, and that's I, a big and that's twist cool. reveal at the end. Yeah, so I don't want to go into it too much because, you know, there might be some people that haven't seen the show, though, honestly, to do Repo Nerds right, we're going to spoil the fuck out of things. Um, so, uh, you know, <laughs> it's really about all of them. Everybody in the story is, is a piece of the puzzle, and it's about humanity as a whole and not really about one individual person. Everybody has a part to play, even to well, the smallest arms walker dude, you know, and, and that's important. When one person dies in the story – even though I'm not connected to the characters, I still feel it because, you know, and it's very simple having that little wall in the back that keeps going from 50,000 to 40,000 to 43,000 to 42,000, you know, watching that number go lower and lower and lower. That's the real tension in the, of the story. How did you feel about 33, which some consider to be the best hour of televised science fiction in history? What, the, the whole time jump thing, right? Uh, and Episode not being able to called, sleep. It's called 33. Yep. Yeah, yeah, and that's the first episode after the miniseries. Uh, well, I, I, here's what's funny. You're going to laugh at this. I actually accidentally saw it first before I went back and watched the miniseries. So when I watched it, I was like, what the fuck's going on? <laughs> I had no idea. I, I, but, but you didn't really need to know because there was a very basic premise of what was happening. You know, they're running right. away and, and, and they're trying and they jump. And then 33 minutes later, here come the Cylons who don't need sleep. They're kind of come and destroy them. I did thought that uh, Katie Sackhoff had some of the best lines in the whole season um, from that episode. Uh, you know, especially when she's flying around the Vipers. I do want to say, give a shout out to the movement of the spaceships especially in this episode, how they don't always shoot rockets. Like, they do little of air to push, their, to remaneuver themselves well, that's around. Yeah, and it's, that's... it's really what, what we're going to do as humans when we design ships like that, if we ever get to that point. That's not what our ships are going to look like. They're not going to be rockets or have huge jet streams like Star Wars. They're going to look like Battlestar Galactica. You know, they're going to be, you know, we're already trying to do that with the with the spacewalk chairs, right? 
with the little right. aerosol cans that push things around. So I, I really like that. I like how they were trying to incorporate real-time um, elements into what would be, you know, what would make sense for us in our universe. So, you know, even though it takes place before, it still works. Like all, you know, there's a lot of analog things going on. Wireless becomes a major issue in the story a lot. Um, I kind of like that, especially on the episode where they have to go after the, the Rock of Trillium, which, by the way, that episode was totally ripped off from Star Trek. And I would also um, say... By the so way, is, by the way, it's also a direct correspondence to um, uh, a previous Battlestar Galactic episode in the original series. There's many episodes of this series that are, are a reimaginings of the original series shows. And we'll talk about that a little bit more after you're done um, going through your um, dissertation. Totally. So I really liked all of that. Um, you know, 33, I think, is a really well-done episode because, you know, it is something I've always kind of wondered. Like, you know, like, the, I really – because there's oh, – let me, let me re regroup here. The thing that made Star Galactica, even though the characters I find are a little bit hard to decipher from who they are, their psychological breakdown and how they actually react to each other is extremely real. And that's another way why it works, especially in season two. At the beginning of season two, um, when they start, when the civilian government is suddenly being dismantled, all of that is exactly how it would go down, which is one of the reasons why I don't understand the EXO's motivations in this, because every decision he makes is disastrous. And I'm like, what the fuck he's is going on with that? Um, well, but he's a drunk. But he's out that's of welcome. Yeah, but that, yeah, I know drunks that would do better on battle strategy than him. Uh, so I don't know, um, but um, you know, there's there's a lot going on. I, I, I like can't that a tell lot. you anything more because it will drastically spoil things for you for season three. And most of there's a reason he does that. I already guessed it. I figured it out. I figured it out from the beginning. I already know. I'm positive he's a Cylon motherfucker. There's no way he's not. <laughs> that man behaves like one. His wife may be um, one too. I think they both are. Uh, at this point, that's my well, guess. You're He's half a right. Cylon. You're half, I'm half right. right. All right. Well, I'm pretty sure. You're vaginally Cylon, half so. right. Ha 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 ha. Okay, so you know uh, the Cylons tend to like to have sex, not just because they're okay. Let me ask you this. I they realize they want to have sex, and they're very religious too, aren't they? Oh, my God. That's what I was about to go into, because there's this whole subplot of them wanting to have children with humans, because they can't procreate themselves. So they're trying to find a way that they can procreate naturally so they can live a more normal life. I don't know. Um, they know God is love, and so they think love is value, so they program some of their, their robots to fall in love. But then the other ones are jealous, and it turns out they can naturally fall in love too, um, that, which is reminiscent of Blade Runner, by the way. Um, oh yeah, you know, it borrows it, a lot of the robot, a lot of the Cylon stuff in this borrows heavily from Philip K. Dick. You got to realize in the original series they were reptilian, a reptilian race that made themselves <laughs> into robots. That's what they were. They were right. in the original series. They weren't a creation. Of the humans, they were just an enemy of the humans, which is why they were more, again, you know, a metaphor for the Cold War and 
the Soviet Union and the United States at that time. Tommy, did you ever get to do the Universal Studios Battlestar Galactica ride? No, I, I have never been to Florida, honey. Well, it was also in, in California where I grew up, but the one in Hollywood. I've never been to California and either. It was <laughs> badass. You have no idea how badass it was. You, 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 the tram pulls up into a full-size Cylon ship, like the big ones where the lizard guys are, and you pull the up stars. to the lizard guys, and they tell you they're going to kill you. They decide that they're going to destroy the, the shuttle. By what the fuck command. the shuttle? We don't know. It got human. Starbucks fucks down the door, and then all these lasers go off, and and it's like smoke and lasers, and and it just and the Cylons come out, and the huge full size animatronic Cylons, and, and you know Starbucks, of course, played by an actor, and he totally saves the day, and we get away. It was awesome. I I would ride that thing just to do that. You okay, know, now, now back, was... back to the 2004 series. Yeah. <laughs> what 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 else what else appealed to you about it? Uh, what else appealed to me about it? Um, uh, my favorite subplot, like I said, I think is the Sharons, the two Sharons that are programmed to fall in love with humans. Uh, I like how the blonde, I guess now I've learned that her name is Cyclone Six. That's the blonde six. chick. Number six. Yes. Yeah. Number six is actually kind of jealous of Sharon because she actually does love the professor. And there was like, one shot very subtly that I thought they did really well where she's like talking to one of the male Cylons and he goes, well, she's in love with him now. She's programmed. He goes, and she's like reviled by like, well, cause they have human emotions. They are humans, but clearly she's like lamenting her love of the professor. And I, I was like, Whoa, she's in love with him. Isn't she for real? And so I like the, the beauty and the beast nature of some of the Cylon characters and their male and their male human and counterparts because almost all the female Cylons are programmed to fall in love with male counterparts in some ways, partly for manipulation, partly because they're trying to procreate. Uh, so there's that going on. Um, and the male, the male not Cylons a, are just very manipulative and just – Overall, cruel, I think. Uh, well, they, they certainly are self-servant, um, you know, and, and uh, you know, brutal a lot of the time, and they do terrible things, uh, you know. But everyone, but the, the story I like about the Cylons is that they're not really bad, bad guys. We don't see them as quote unquote enemies, like you know, us and them. They try to paint them with a little bit broad strokes. Like Sharon's character is a good example of that. With Sharon doesn't know she's a Cylon. She starts to suspect she's a Cylon and she goes all suicidal on herself. Uh, you know, she's trying to figure it out, you know, and, and how would you feel that your life has been completely a lie the whole time? Not only is your life completely a lie, you're designed to destroy everything you've designed, you love, you know, <laughs> it's a pretty heavy blow, especially if you're designed to fall in love with something. So, uh, you know, I, I do think the phrase toaster is racist. <laughs> um, but the Cylons did shoot first, so there's that. You know, yes. the humans would have gone on being humans. They're the ones who decided to break the accord. So they're not. They, they act like they're high and mighty, and they're doing it for God, which is obviously a, a meta. You know, very much a theme of this show. That and history repeating itself is a big, big loop 
on this show. They mm-hmm. keep talking about things happening over and over again. But, you know, it doesn't make it an excuse, you know. It's like uh, a little <laughs> bit, you know. You know, so love me, doesn't mean that mis- that mass genocide is allowed. I don't think so. so. I want to, I want, I want to take the, te- the 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 soapbox now, and I want to try to explain things to you in a different manner. Maybe you'll you'll understand it a little bit better um, okay. once I explain it to you this way. I want the first thing I'm going to do. I'm going to ask you a strange question, Liz, and, and to our listeners okay. too. Um, one of your favorite TV shows that you like right now is called American Gods, um, and the premise of American gods is that the old gods on our planet are gone and we've got new gods, right? That are based off of uh, the new things that we have, like entertainment and technology and, and machinery and stuff, correct? To an extent, that's a very simplified answer, okay. uh, All right. explanation. All right. And we live in a country that, that portrays itself as being a monotheistic uh, Judeo-Christian-based faith for the majority of the population. Um, but if other people look at us, you know, from other religions, to, the, to them, we may be perceived as having multiple gods um, because of our, you know, again, relating to, you know, uh, Neil Gaiman and his American Gods book and the TV show. Now, let's translate that to, to Battlestar Galactica. And, and we, I've mentioned a couple times in this episode that the original show was a metaphor for the Cold War. Do you understand what this show is a metaphor for? Well, it's obviously the war on terror. I mean, it's, it's a metaphor for 9 Yeah, I mean, it's, it's 9 11, the war on terror, and the Patriot Act, right. which was enacted in 2000. You know, so all that happened in 2003, right. you know, mm-hmm. like we went, the, the whole war on terror came to a head in 2003. So, um, yeah. So, Battlestar Galactica, Ron Moore's Battlestar Galactica as a whole is a metaphor for 9-11. And the Cylons are Al-Qaeda or ISIS, whatever you want to call them, okay? They have their god. They're on a holy war. The colonists are the United States. We have our polytheistic religion. We have our multiple gods, and we're all separated and segregated by our colonies. Okay? So, those right there, those are the big underlying foundation for the reboot for Battlestar Galactica. And I think that's part of the reason that you, part of you doesn't really like it, um, because it, it's too close to home, maybe. Or we live well, in a I new like era... It. Are we, no, I'm not saying you don't like it. It's some of it you find you, you don't get, or you don't, or you, or you don't, doesn't appeal to you, it's as you were saying earlier. It's cold to it. You right. Know, I don't feel like I, I, I don't feel like I'm invested because you're, that I. We're ahead. separated from 9/11 by almost 20 years now. By the time you're watching this, too. So that's something to take into account as well. Well, now, when I gotta the show remember first something came out, about 9/11. My my husband was in New York, in Manhattan that day, and I work for the Park Service. So no, 9/11 is very, very. Uh, I have okay. stories. <laughs> Let's just put it that way. So no, okay. it's a bi- I have a big connection to 9/11. So maybe that's why it bothers no. you then. It could be why it bothers no. you sitting too close to home. I don't think so. Well, I don't know if it's so that. <laughs> okay, irrelevant. Irrelevant. All right, we're getting off the beaten track here. The whole point of what I'm trying to say here is that when it first came out, we were 
the colonists. We were able to bond with them because we were the colonists. And that was part of the popularity of the show. Okay? Now, season three hits, and you haven't gotten to season three yet. All right? But season three is plagued by two things. The writer's strike that hit that year that destroyed all television across the board, especially serialized shows like Battlestar Galactica and Lost. All right? And the fact that the colonists were no longer the USA. The colonists become the Iraqi people. And the Cylons become the United States. This happens in season three when they land on a planet and they take the planet. And they live on the planet and they settle down. And then the the Cylons show up. And they subjugate the humans. This is a spoiler alert. This is coming to you in the future. Okay? That leads on... That leads on to the final five Cylon storyline that leads to the culmination of the show. When you go back, and, and, and I'm finding it fascinating because I'm rewatching this show with you, okay? And I'm through season one as well. To go back now and see all of the little Easter eggs and foreshadowing techniques used in this season to show the end of this freaking series has been fantastic. This is very, this is M. Night Shyamalan fucking subtle. It really is. Because the payoff, you got to see everything that leads up to it. Just knowing about what happens at the end of Battlestar Galactica isn't enough to understand it. And the show has been credited as either, either having the greatest finale of a serialized show ever or the most convoluted. And I think it's whether you get it or not. So I encourage you strongly to watch the remainder of the series and to battle through the episodes where the crew of the Galactica becomes suicide bombers. I've been told that season three is a bit of a a rough go uh, by several people, actually. Season (laughs) three is very grim. It is very bleak. Season three is The Last Jedi. And the, and the fact that everybody like that. fails. Well, no, I'm saying, you know, was, the, the theme of The Last Jedi is failure. Okay? That's the running theme through the movie. The failure and the consequences of failure. And that's exactly what season three of Battlestar Galactica is. Everybody fails at what they're doing. The Cylons fail at trying to make a peace with the humans. The humans fail at trying to make a peace with the Cylons. Bal- Baltar fails. The president fails. Uh, Baltar becomes president for a time. So I, it's, it's, very, it's, it's a very dark season, season three is. And I think the payoff in season four with the final five and the, reveal, the, slow, the slow reveal of the final five Cylons, who aren't truly Cylons, they're the Cylons before the Cylons, because what has happened before has happened again. Everything that happened in the original Battlestar Galactica television show from 1978 and 79 happened. And then this happened again. So, so when does Lucy Lawless come into all this? Lucy Lawless is one of the, one of the Cylons. One yeah. Of, one of the 12. Is, is, she's one of the 12. She's one of the, yeah, no, I mean, when does she actually physically appear in the story? Uh, sometime in the middle of season two. 
going into season three. Oh, so, she's she's oh. very much a part of when they are on the rock. And getting off oh, the rock okay. is because they find the Pegasus. So the Pegasus coming and saving, it, yeah. The Pegasus is just amazing what happens with that. Well, no, the Pegasus happens before that. The Pegasus is still around when they're on the planet. So you know, you, you're coming to the Pegasus pretty soon, I think. Cool. Um, and that right there, the, uh, the the captain of the Pegasus, my God, best portrayal ever. Um, the actress that plays her, her mind slips me at the, her name slips my mind at the time. Right now, um, let me go. Let me look here. The beauty of being on live radio. As they say, <laughs> uh, okay. Here it is. Helena Kane, Captain Kane, Captain Kane. Yep. Um, and played by um, Michelle Forbes. Just fantastic. She's a she is a cold as ice bitch. I'm gonna say, and yeah, uh, you watch this, you're gonna to want to cosplay as her, so you can just be a cold as ice bitch too. <laughs> I'm serious. She's, so what is she's your a very good ship? female character. What's your favorite ship outside of the Vipers and the Raptors? And let's put the Silas to the side. What is your favorite ship of the Colonial Fleet? Mine. Yeah, I, I am too attached to the Vipers to give you an answer other than a Viper. I, I really am. I really. Uh, I, I like really, the. I like. I like the. I like the. Uh, the cat. The the president's ship. I like the design of that a little bit. It's kind of phallic. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the Vipers. Come on. The only cosplay that I have is a Battlestar Galactica Viper pilot ja- jacket. <laughs> That's cool. Uh, I really myself. like the one that's got the big wheel, like the like 2001 Space Odyssey, the one that generates its own oh, gravity yeah. by spinning. I like that one. And, of course, there's the Serenity ship is one of the Colonial Fleet, which makes uh, me Yes, out. it is. Yes, it is. <laughs> yeah, yes, it, it is. is. You know, and, and actually, we'll talk so about is, that in about five minutes. Yeah, but so is, enter, <laughs> so is Enterprise 1701-A, the second Enterprise, is in one shot of one episode for a brief yep. moment. So I think that's pretty awesome that Star Trek and and, and uh, Serenity get shout outs or Firefly get shout outs during the show. But there's a reason for that. The same special effects guy as it did Firefly did Battlestar Galactica. So that's why right. there's the the Serenity ship in there. Uh, so uh, I thought that was pretty cool. Uh, I do want to say one final thing about my experience, and it's about the music. Which is produced by Bear McCreary, Creedy. Bear McCreary very, very is famous. Best, man. Yeah, he's super, super famous. I do want to say though, I found it a tad bit distracting the music because it's 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 partly because it's good that it brings attention to itself a lot, uh, which a good score shouldn't always do that unless you're John Williams doing Star Wars, uh, you know. But um, <laughs> uh, so I would be like, oh, there's music here. Uh, but it was if you put it as a standalone, it's kind of like the Twin Peaks soundtrack. As a standalone soundtrack, yeah. it is solid from beginning to end. And I thought it is a writing cool. soundtrack for me, by the way. Um, oh, is I it? I listen to the, a lot. Uh, yep, uh, that John Carpenter. 
Um, the uh, Jerry Goldsmith Planet of the Apes themes and soundtracks, those, those are all writing music for me. So I did you're, have you're a down- geek out moment when Apollo flies by the Battlestar Galactica for the first time when they're giving the ceremony to decomet, and then they bring up the original theme. And I'm like, oh, yes. that's so cool. I got all weepy that's, for a moment. Um, <laughs> that's actually the colonial anthem. Yep. Yeah, I know. That, that was yeah, written by Glenn with, Larson, by the way. Originally. Was it Glenn Larson wrote that? Excellent. Yep. So I have to go back and rewatch the original because all of my original memories of it, because well, you're 10 years older than me. It, it's I'm like bits and pieces. And maybe this is going to help you understand Baltar and Six a little bit better. Do you remember... Do you remember in the original series the the the, the one Cylon that had like a big giant um, um, Dayglow or not Dayglow but a uh, uh, Frankenstein like brain that followed the yeah Altar the big around? brain head yes yes yeah, totally that remember was, him yeah. you know, do you remember what his name was not off the top of my head now Lucifer is it what Lucifer? is Lucifer yes He's what is the Lucifer devil, of course it, what is the devil Lucifer. a demon. And what do demons and devils do to people? They possess them, correct? Well, they give you shit. <laughs> they lie. They are deceitful. Six is, you know. is, six is Lucifer. Six is the devil. She calls her, but she constantly is calling herself an angel of God. No. Well, of course, because Lucifer was God's most beautiful angel. It is true. It is true. That is true. Uh, but it honestly, is. I think she her feelings are genuine for the Lucifer. professor. Well, yes, because Lucifer loves man. The devil loves man. Baltar is everything that is wrong with man. man is all of man's faults. Baltar is a walking Pandora's box. Baltar uh, represents all of us. I will say Baltar is ultimately not a villain villain because he had a chance. He, they, they wrote something very early on into his character where he had a choice where he could have just, you know, no one would have noticed. Right. But when he was noticed, he goes, no, this is what really happened. And he puts the old lady on the plane who was the right person to go up, right, because she won the lottery. Yes. And so they're trying to show that he's not super, super evil, but he's really, He's not really evil in, that, in any manner. The, the bad guys are the Cylon, without a doubt. Lucifer is a great, uh, not Lucifer, but Baltar is a great character in this, but he's not the outright um, evil, in league with the Cylons bad guy that he was in the original series. And I, I love the way it works here with him. So a lot, a lot, a lot of food for thought for you as you go on continuing watching the series. Now, yeah, myself... What, what Go ahead. I haven't seen a show. And now this is going to be our oh God. I can't believe this. I'm not the biggest Joss Whedon fan. I'm going to be honest with you, Liz. Well, I'm have not. you seen Buffy? Some. 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 Um, enough. Enough of Buffy. I've seen enough of Buffy. But there's one series in particular that I, get, I, I catch a lot of. I've, I watched Dollhouse. I, I catch okay. a lot of grief for not watching this one series, and it's Serenity, Firefly. I've not seen an episode of it, ever. And I'm, I'm, I'm well, coming to you and asking for your forgiveness right now, Liz. 
Is there I any way that I, I can I can change this? Any way we can remove this stain from my from my nerd card? Well, since you made me watch a series, I think it would only be fair to watch a series. And really, once again, they're sister series because they share ships. So one could be equally the prequel to the other in an odd way. Uh, so it's easy enough to get the whole season in because it just kind of ends. <laughs> so I expect you to watch all the seasons. But you have to also watch Serenity the movie as well. Uh, you okay. really can't watch. You, it, it matters. It matters a lot to add the movie, but don't watch the movie till after you watch the season. Um, that's very important. I understand. Um, I understand. There's a, a machete way I should watch the season. There's certain one I should watch them in a certain order, as opposed to the way they were broadcast. Is that uh, true? I watch them the way. Yeah, you can do it that way. I'm not a brown coat that way. I watch them in broadcast order, uh, but for the most part, it's still would work if you watch the movie afterwards because the movie kind of backfills what you're missing in the series and it kind of puts a period on the whole thing and okay. it, it is worth watching and once and of course it's got k and b makeup effects so you know it's got the the guys that worked on the walking dead also did the makeup effects for these guys uh it looks fantastic uh firefly is pretty good uh, I, I would say that ultimately the movie is actually better than the entire series. Because, uh, but I love westerns, and this is a western. Remember that these are actually That's what a western I understand. In space, uh, and That's literally what I a western. You'll see that, <laughs> not just the metaphor. It literally is a western. Uh, and so, watch the show and come back to me. I believe we were going to say Jan- uh, February eighth. Would be our next repo nerds for this for the time yeah, being. Yeah, they'll be our next repo nerds. They'll be uh, our because next we're watching nerds. series, right? And yeah, uh, you're going to give me an update. Mentioned. You're going to give me an update in the next show on how much further you've gotten in the Galactica. I, I will try to do that. I've got a lot of cramming to do. I have eight films still to watch for the Fright Meters, including Mother. Mother's the next one in my queue, and I've put it in twice and haven't been able to get through it. So I'm going to try to watch that. <laughs> um, and, um, oh, by the way, I wanted to mention, you mentioned something about uh, Mormons earlier. And I wrote down this note when you said about Copal and religion. Do you know that the planet that Jesus lives on is Kolob? Right. So Copal is just one letter change, basically. Yes, I know that. I didn't realize that until you said that. I was like, oh, I get it. <laughs> so, and Starbuck you know, so in the I original Serenity... series was Dirk Benedict. Yeah, no. I think, in the original I think series, following... Richard Hatch was Apollo. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's all kind of convoluted and cool. But uh, I really do like how they played into it. But going back to what we're going to we'll, we'll put – I will, I will catch you up on what, if I've gotten no farther along about Star Galactica, but I also have to get my women's in horror panel ready. I have Oscar nominations to watch and a Fright Manor films to watch. So always busy, Tommy. Never a day's rest around here. <laughs> I try to pretend like I'm going to take a break and then I end up like doing more film stuff. So we'll see. <laughs> uh, but in the meantime, though, uh, I am going to be back on the air in a week. And the 23rd, it's, that's Tuesday. It's not even a week away. Tuesday at 9 p.m., the premiere episode of Season 4 of Archivist Best on Shiz. We will talk Oscar nominations for half an hour and then con- count down our favorite films of 2017. I can already tell you, Tommy, it's a zombie film for me this year. 
Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm going to say girl with all the gifts. Yep. I'm not really hitting this. Don't tell anybody about that. Uh, no, it's not a big, big surprise. There's some other surprises on my list this year, including one I enjoyed uh, that film. Movie. I loved that movie, and I have to read the book. Uh, but there's a lot of, this was a very weird, eclectic year for movies. I think horror was fantastic, but there was a lot of weird stuff out there. So I think it'll be a fun list. So have a listen. That'll be 9 p.m. on the 23rd. Tommy, I just listened to your last episode where you did talk about uh, heavy metal. And I know that I want to say that Azrael Mordecai is right uh, when it comes to uh, Steppenwolf and Black Sabbath. That's basically what you need to know. But when can they listen to the next episode of Necrocasticon? Uh, It comes out every Monday on Project Entertainment Network, 6 o'clock Eastern Time. And what is your episode going to be on this week? Uh, this week, I don't know what they're going to be talking about because I'm not going to be on the show. I'm actually, uh, when we record the show, I'm going to be out in uh, Utica, New York um, at a club out there listening to the Honky Tonk Man of WWF fame do his stand-up show. So I won't be oh, on nice. this recording. But the week after that, I'm going to uh, we're going to have a special episode on... Deep Purple and Rainbow and their influence on all of rock and roll. And I'm going to be talking to former Rainbow singer JoLynn Turner and the son of Ronnie James Dio, none other than Dan, author Dan Padovana. So they're all going to be on the show with us. Yeah, it's going to be that a big, like big, a huge fabulous show. My, that's like a sweep-level worthy episode, man. Yep, and I yep, thought my absolutely is. episode was going to be good. Uh, I have. Uh, we'll talk about uh, the premiere of a Sexy, which is a little later. But I also wanted to let you know that I did land another major interview coming up for Sleeps Month for Ooh. us too. Um, I landed Scott Shermer, the director of Found and Headless. Um, he's going to come on the show in, in February. So oh, I mean, well, I'm February pretty excited is, about that. Yeah, February. We're focusing on women in horror, and uh, we're yeah, going well, to have. The uh, first the first half of the month is deep dive into women in horror with the Days of the Dead, and I'm going to follow it up with a, a sexy witches episode where I recap Days of the Dead and do an entire episode devoted to women's in horror month. So, yeah, we got you covered. But I also wanted to bring in, you know, I had this extra space in February, and I'm like, let's see if Scott Shermer would fight, and he totally did. <laughs> so that was awesome. So my stalking skills are still fresh. So uh, well, we got so, we've got um, some. Uh... We've got a couple of names lined up, too, for Women in Horror Month. Author Susie Madron is going to be on the show with us. and um, Yeah, we love Susie. And we're also going to be doing a crossover with author uh, and fellow podcaster at Project Entertainment Network, Amber Fallon, uh, an episode of what we would call It Smokes. <laughs> Her show is It oh, Cooks, right. and we have Smoke and Walt Ball. It's going to be a cooking show on a heavy metal and horror <laughs> show. I can't wait to know what Walter is actually making in the smoker with Amber. It'll be awesome. Yes, yes, so, it'll be great. Um, all right, so where can they find you, to- Token Tom? We need to close this shit up for the night. Where can they find yeah. you? I'm at Token Bottom Score Tom on the Twitter, the Token Tom on Facebook. Um, of course, I have my podcast, the Necrocast account at Project Entertainment Network, and a bunch of shows that I do produce for the network, including... Um, the Library at the End of the World with Jim Cobb, 
uh, Defenders Dialogue with Brian Keane and Christopher Golden, the Curtain Jerkers Wrestling Podcast with our friend from Necrocasticon, Max Burton, and Walta. Um, so, yeah, I got my hands into a few podcasts out there that you can check out. Fabulous. And you can find me at The Sexy Witches uh, on Twitter or Cave Pearl EKG, which is my personal Twitter account. You can also always find me on Facebook. Uh, it's my practically my second dad, uh, Elizabeth Catherine Gray is my personal profile. Give it a friend. I also manage several groups, the FB Film Geek Circle, the Robes of Tashi Station, where Battlestar Galactica would be a normal conversation piece, and, of course, uh, my Halloween horror movie, Marathon Madness, which is going on its 11th year. Wow. So Next it. year I'm going to try yeah. it. Next year I'm going to try to do it. I, I played past I, it this year and I made it halfway through. Uh, well, <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. Uh, so hopefully on the 8th I'll have some big news about a possible panel I might be hosting at a Comic-Con near me. So fingers crossed. And uh, it's very good to talk uh, uh, geek with you as usual. Is, do I get my geek card back now? Yes, you have your geek card back, and uh, uh, make sure that you get old mine for the next month. All right, and we'll come back in February, and we'll do this all over again. How's that sound? That sounds fabulous. So I'll see you in two and a half weeks, my sir. Yes. Repo Nerds is written and produced by Thomas R. Clark and Elizabeth Catherine Gray for Loud Sound Productions and Click and Clack Productions. Music provided by Dan Leedenfield and The Night Keep, used with permission.